I'm a lucky gal. Full stop. I am a lucky gal. I'm very, very fortunate to come from the perspective that I come from as a seer, as an intuitive. When I was a little girl, my world was very magical, as a lot of children's are. I work with a lot of children and what they report to me, because they trust me, is very similar to what I experienced as a child, but perhaps my generation, you know, the support wasn't there to allow this kind of experience that I had as a child to be. So what I experienced as a child was beautiful colors and sometimes not so beautiful colors emanating and swirling around people. I saw spirits. I saw angelic beings. But I thought, doesn't everybody? I mean, this was something that was fairly, I mean, it wasn't even normal to me. It was just, a, it was a non-issue. It was life until I came to discover at around six or seven years old that nobody else was seeing this, like, oops. And perhaps for a while, I put all of those sightings into the realm of imagination. And, you know, if it was my imagination, all those sightings, well, now I have the perspective that that's okay. You know, what if my imagination is a part of my reality? but I digress. So I was a very intuitive kid though, very sensitive. I did see spirits. I had precognitive dreams. I had apocalyptic dreams. I had a very, very full and rich uh, spiritual life, very inquisitive. I was always asking about God and who is God. And oh my gosh, probably drove my parents crazy. But I also woke up one day at 21 years old half asleep, watching my then husband, my first husband, sleeping and had, I guess, what one could call a spiritually transformative experience, whereby I started seeing colors and this beautiful mist emanating from him. Having forgotten all about seeing these kinds of things as a child, I thought, huh, Wow, far out. <laughs> I don't even do drugs, but oh my gosh, you know, like this is kind of cool. And then I thought, uh, is it cool? Uh, am I okay? Hmm. You know, I've been having a stressful time lately. Maybe, uh, maybe this has something to do with that. And then I'm thinking, 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 I'm studying psychology, of course, you know, and I thought, oh, I know, endorphins. I was also studying anatomy. Endorphins, yeah, that's it. Endorphins are flowing because I'm in love with this guy and maybe it's doing something to my optic nerve. I don't know. You know, I came up with some cockamamie reason for seeing this energy from him. And then I went back to sleep thinking, okay, it, you know, it's all gonna go away. When I wake up and no, no, <laughs> it didn't go back. It didn't go away. In fact, 
when I walked, watched him as he was um, standing by the window, he was shining like a god. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, whoa, you know, I really must be in love. <laughs> and I ran to the window and looked out at the people below our apartment, going off to work and everybody was glowing. So that was the beginning of a 40, whatever, whatever, I'm 65. So a many year process of integrating that so that I could cope and be in life. So I really do feel that this integration process over many, 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 many years, I still have sometimes when I'm really not fond of what I see. And I even wonder about my mental health still to this day. Yet it's really helped me to prepare me to help many, many people who go through these very powerful experiences, including near-death experiences, including my husband's near-death experience. The other thing that really prepared me was that I am the daughter of a mom who was a near-death experiencer. However, I didn't know that until both of us attended an IANS meeting way back in the mid eighties in Seattle, Washington in the basement of a library. And um, by that point, my mom and I shared, we were always discussing metaphysical stuff and spiritual things. And um, so we had an incredible relationship and we loved to attend seminars and lectures and that kind of thing that were of interest. And apparently this near-death experience thing was um, of interest. So we're listening to somebody describing their near-death experience. And my mom murmured right next to me, I had one of those. I looked at her after the lecture, she described that at 13 years old in World War II Germany, after the war was over, she was walking to a village to get a little something for the farming family that took her family in after they escaped from their village in World War II Germany. So she had, both my parents had escape stories that would Oh my goodness, it would just curl your hair. But um, anyway, she was just walking innocent little 13 year old girl along this road. And um, she saw a truck with some American soldiers on it. And she said, used her best English. She said, hello, how are you? And she walked on and the next thing she knew, one of the soldiers had grabbed her from behind, dragged her into the forest and choked her to death. I, and I'm sorry for those sensitive people out there, but the experience was very painful. She died. She went to the other side. She said she rose up above that forest, that lane, rose up above the clouds. She felt a warm presence, very, in a way, very classic, you know, near-death experience. And she, um, she also had a vision of a grandmother who had raised her. What she did not know is that this grandmother had already passed. She had already died. 
um, because they lost track of each other. And so from that perspective, her grandmother told her that this beautiful place close to God was not her place yet and told her to go back into life. And she woke up sputtering and was hospitalized. And um, it was confirmed that indeed her, she, she didn't have, take any breath. She was, you know, dead <laughs> for a while. So she had a near-death experience. And I really feel very strongly that that prepared her to be my mother. And in, especially in my adult years, when I started seeing auras and I was like, ah, what do I do with this? You know, what's a, what's a girl to do but call her mother? And she would say, oh, you're seeing auras or oh, you're, you're experiencing this thing. So we had an incredible relationship and I really do again feel that her near-death experience prepared her to give birth to me and all my very unusual experiences and also prepared me for the times to come when I met my lovely husband of 35 years. Okay, there's a tear, <laughs> it's escaped. So Jim, um, when we met, I heard a voice that has guided me lifelong since then. He answered the door, I was visiting a friend and it was a very complex uh, relationship that I had to this friend, but regardless, this total stranger answered the door and I heard a voice in my head say very clearly, there is the father of your children. It was like it was being read off a screen, you know, and, and I'm just, what, <laughs> what? And I must've looked like a crazy woman, but uh, I just kind of shooed the voice away, you know, hey, no, and no, and by the way, I'm married to somebody else, so no. <laughs> and I dashed into the house. His view of that was that I was probably stuck up or something and turned my nose up and dashed into the house. But uh, we eventually became friends. And it was all based on not only a heart connection, but a spirit connection. We talked about spiritual things from the very, very beginning. He was on some kind of existential crisis and search <laughs> as he was going through his uh, second um, master's degree in psychology. I um, was already starting to do a little bit of teaching and counseling and, you know, kind of guided him a little bit. But mostly we talked about consciousness. And in the years to come, like I say to all kinds of people, we don't know what other people talked about, but this couple, we talked about consciousness all the time. So that's how I think, again, my mom has a near-death experience. My experiences, my sightings, my knowings, my inclinations, our conversations about the, the divine and what is beyond this reality, all, again, really helped to prepare me for his experience. 
INs, by the way, I'm going to put a little plug in for INs, of course, um, you know, just going to those meetings that I knew the term, I had a term for what I was about to experience with my husband. So we were married in 1987 and then fast and had two beautiful children uh, who are now in their 30s. And um, so the boys were young uh, when this experience occurred. In 1997, my husband had come to bed. I was already in bed and asleep after a good day's work. And I'll tell you about why I was in bed early from that good day's work when I get to my part of the equation. But for him, from his side, he'll say this, he went to sleep, it was very peaceful, something happened, and then he was awake. And when he awoke, he was looking at this scene of medics and first responders bustling around and somebody was trying to put, you know, the oxygen thing on his finger and putting oxygen around him. He felt a little strange. He felt a buzzing in his, on his tongue because he had bit his tongue that we found out later. Um, he said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, you have the wrong place. What are you people doing here? Oh, you know, it's okay. You can go away now so that we can go back to sleep. And then he looked at me. And more than likely, I was probably as white as this blouse <laughs> because I had just gone through my own experience for the last 20 minutes. Later, um, he was transferred to the hospital and with severe brain and heart damage, he had had a grand mal seizure and um, the rest of his life and the rest of our story began right there and then. So what about the near-death experience? He knew that he had experienced something and the, and it was just kind of on the tip of his mind, you know, almost like a jumble of experiences, but it kept coming up and over and over and over again, these different flashes of the near-death experience. And so we enlisted the aid of a friend of ours who um, does a little bit of hypnotherapy, um, but actually, she wasn't almost needed because once he was on the roll, he spoke about his near-death experience bit by bit by bit by bit and, and chapter by chapter, and it was extensive. Um, I wish that there was a recording of the man actually talking about his near-death experience. There are little snippets here and there, mostly talking about his sense of timelessness and him playing at the edges of this incredible light. And it was a nothingness, but it was also a light and how he had played at the edges of it for who knows how long. 
But it also involved some very interesting things. He was actually inside a pyramid and he knew that he was inside of a pyramid, like the kind of pyramids that you would see in Giza, Egypt. And within this pyramid, he witnessed this pile of what he called golden Lincoln logs. And I don't know if you're of a generation to play with Lincoln logs, but they were these toys that were logs. And he saw these logs, but they were gold, made of gold. And the sense that he had of those logs were that they were what he still had left to do on earth. They were the expression of his purpose while he was on earth. And they were his gifts that he was going to share. The, also, the other experience that I find very interesting is that he found himself before he played at the edges of this beautiful light. He found himself in a mountain cirque. And so a cirque is a circular area. It's like a big valley surrounded by mountains all around. Within this meadow in the middle of the mountains were numerous thrones, big, huge chairs, thrones, each of them intricately decorated or made, you know, very, very individualistic. In some of the thrones, people were sitting or spirits were there. And some of the thrones were empty. And he had a sense that one of those thrones was his. He approached the throne, it was large and magnificent, but did not feel that it was his rightful place to take a seat on the throne. And then he had that beautiful experience of playing at the edges of being Jim and then not Jim and Jim and not Jim. And so that was his perspective. I mean, the man had an adventure and I'm just telling the half of it. <laughs> Here was my experience. So three weeks before the near-death experience, I was scheduled on the day of the near-death experience to be out of town a lot of miles away out of town. I mean, several hours away. I was going to be giving a seminar at a really wonderful uh, large bookstore and uh, spiritual center. I had um, these aura portrait sessions that I provide for people. I was fully booked for three days with a waiting list. It's a seminar, fully booked with a waiting list. So I'm going, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to, I was getting ready to go in, in three weeks time when I received a phone call from the owner of this place. Now this place was a very big place. I mean, it had a lot of staff, it was ongoing. You know, the owner was involved, but there were a lot of other people involved. And that's key to the story because what he said next just I sent me into a tailspin. And to this day, I cannot figure out how this could have happened. But he said to me, hello, Elka, 
we have some things going on in the family and we're going to have to cancel cancel your time here. I stared at the phone. The phone stared back at me and I said, what, <laughs> what? But I have a waiting list and I, 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 and then he muttered something else. And he said, I, I'm sorry, I have to go now. And I'm sorry about canceling you, goodbye. And it just was, it, it, huh? What just happened here? So I hung up the phone and I, I just stood there in, I mean, you know, I kind of faded away. Like this can't be happening because by the way, this is my career. And how are people gonna feel when they cancel me just without, you know, it's not my fault. And oh my gosh, my mind was on fire. After calming down though, a little bit later, I thought, well, okay, I guess I have a free weekend. So I made a number of phone calls. This is kind of previous to the internet being, you know, really key to inviting people to things. And so I, uh, I made a bunch of phone calls with some people who wanted to take a class from me um, on shamanic healing or, or something. And I threw together this class for that particular day, rented a room in my town, and on the day of Jim's near-death experience, I taught the class. 40 people in it. It was lovely. We had a great time. I came home. I, I was a good kind of tired, you know, and went to bed early. I was not supposed to be there. I was supposed to be mm, 350 miles away. Okay. I vaguely heard my, my husband come into the room. And this part always kind of gets me a little bit. So just give me a, whew, a moment to breathe. Um, I was awakened by him screaming as if he was being murdered. I mean, it was a blood curdling scream. We had a skylight on our ceiling and it was a full moon night. And so the moonlight was streaming into the bedroom and I saw the man's back arch up and then slam down onto the bed. Now, for years, my husband had an artificial heart valve. He had one installed very early on in his life at 25 years old because of a congenital defect, aortic stenosis, okay? So he had this artificial heart valve and it was very loud. It was very loud. I could tell his heart rate from across the room. So when he screamed, back arched up, slammed down to the bed, I'm fumbling for the lights. His heart had stopped. His breathing had stopped. And that is when three women, all with the same name of Elka, showed up in the room. So there was Elka, the wife, who had just witnessed his husband, her husband, die. No breath, 
no heartbeat, eyes open, staring blankly into nothingness. Some blood, a little bit of blood dripping from his mouth because he had bitten his tongue, but I didn't know that. So the wife was thinking, what I, what, what happened, you know? And what, what is that? What's the blood? And, you know, so she was very traumatized. Then there was Elka, the emergency responder. Up to that point, I probably had performed, I don't know, half a dozen CP, <laughs> CPRs. So I'm really, really good in an emergency. If you want to have an emergency, you know, have it around me because I'll probably respond appropriately. But anyway, so the emergency responder in me started compression, CPR, trying to think, okay, how many, what's the ratio again? And I'm just wailing away on this lifeless body. So she proceeded to do her thing, somehow managed to, between rounds, call 911. And with the phone up, this was a home phone, and on speaker, yelling into it, you know, my husband had a cardiac arrest, I'm doing compression, get here with an address. That was the responder. Then there was Elka the shaman or the, the intuitive or the seer, Elka the seer. And I saw my husband's spirit, this beautiful light in the corner of our bedroom on the ceiling with this just very faint cord attached to his body. By the way, it seemed to come from the region of right there where I started this session, right there in the heart, but that's another <laughs> deal. So there was a seer and, and, and the seer said to him, get back in here. You're not done yet. You have children, you have me, you have things to do. No and no and get in here. And, you know, I'm just yelling at the man while doing compressions and ay, 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 ay. Somehow, I guess it worked and he made up his mind to come back because he said as part of his experience that something felt incomplete on the planet. Um, he, didn't, he didn't say that, you know, he heard my voice or anything like that, but he felt incomplete that he really still had something that he couldn't let go of and that he needed to come back for. So thank goodness he was listening on some kind of level because uh, 20 minutes later, when finally, 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 the responders came, he fi finally, there was a heartbeat. He was just coming back. He was just starting to breathe again. I'm poured, pouring sweat, you know, three shades of pale. Um, and let the proceedings begin and let the rest of our life begin. So I witnessed him coming back. He looked like he had been to nirvana, to heaven, to some kind of incredible realm. 
and was just coming back from this beautiful vacation or something because he was smiling and kind of blinking and looking at people and pushing pushing the first responders away. <laughs> and then he looked at me and I looked at him and I said, sweetheart, you need to let them do their job. So that was my side of the equation and my side of the veil.